This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. This is Jesse for himself. Jesse for himself. <laughs> and Tomahome, I'm third. All right. Yep, you're a third. All right. You got to get that monitor off your neck, Tam. Huh? <laughs> Ender Wigan was a third. Oh. oh. Ender Wigan had a monitor in his neck. Oh. <laughs> I did not recognize that. I've read that book and I didn't recognize that joke. That's a very, very deeply nerdy or geeky or something joke. But did you did you see the other day somebody? Uh, you know what? We should talk about what book we're going to talk about first. Oh, okay. Yeah, A World Out of Time by Larry Niven, author of Ringworld. I hope I re- hopefully I read the correct book. Yeah, it's from right. 1976. 1976. Uh, but I think bicentennial. Yeah, Rammer was the original short story, which is the first chapter. Is from mm-hmm. 1971, I think. Right. Um, and and that's what I read years and years ago uh, as an audio book. Mm-hmm. And you were just listening to that, I think. Yeah, I was just mentioning to Tam right before the podcast that he he mentioned Rammer, and I had forgotten about this until Tam mentioned it. But um, the I'm assuming it's the first chapter of this book, right? Yeah, I think it's even. I mean, is it? Is it yep. pretty much? I don't know what he. I think edited. it's identical. I, I don't. Okay. I don't think anything's changed. Yeah. So a uh, short story called Rammer. It's a 80 minute audiobook from Infinivox, and it's still available. It's read by Pat Botino, and um, I recall listening to it. I just did a quick search on SFF Audio to see if I ever reviewed it, but I didn't see that I did. But I recall listening to it. That's surprising. So, and we so, talked about it a number of times. Yeah. So I, I bought the Kindle version, and in the introduction, Larry Newman says that Rammer is his most perfect short story. But I, oh. I, I haven't read it. Uh, there's an introduction the on, the, on the ebook version? Yeah, I mean, it's very short. It's like two pages. Oh, I don't have an introduction in my copies. <laughs> oh. It's not fair. Rammer! you got to spend... And it actually has uh, the audio version syncs with the Kindle version. It has that whisper sync for voice. So uh, I I think that's, cool. that that's very arguable. It's an excellent short story. And if you just look at the first chapter, uh, you can see how good an ending it has, how um, many great ideas it has. And then I, I was kind of worried, and it kind of sort of happens that I think that the novel kind of ruins the short story. Because it sort of goes off in another direction, right? Yeah, and that, that's kind of how I felt about the novel. Um, I was extremely interested for probably the first, I guess, three chapters. Yeah. And then once he actually got to where he was headed, mm-hmm. it kind of went downhill for me. I didn't, I didn't hate it, um, but I kind of had to push through to the end. It was, um, I was way more interested in. Um, what was going on with him, and then when he got on the ship, and then um, his travels, all that stuff was really interesting to me. It's like the anticipation was way more interesting to me than the actual resolution of that anticipation. Yeah, and you know, there's some things that sort of happen in chapter two and chapter three that that sort of nullify some of the power of chapter one as well, right? So. He, he says, I'm going to go do this. And then, 
like not very long after that, he's sort of saddled with with one of the uh, with uh, Pierce again, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think Pierce is actually a pretty good character later on in the book, um, but it sort of it, you can sort of see he says, "Oh, this is a great short novel. I wrote a novella." I'm going to continue writing and see what happens. Well, yeah, you just yeah. left it like that. It would have been the classic short story, and it, it still is the classic short. <laughs> it really is, yeah. And I'm just looking at it um, again. I didn't recall that this was a short story, so I'm looking at the end of chapter one, like and novel- that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Corbell gets on the ship, and he says, "I'm not going to do what you guys want. I'm going to do what I want, and it's going to be great." <laughs> end of story. I've got and then Corbell you've got all himself. that. Wow, you've got all that. You know, let I don't me know, read that ambiguity. Back. I guess. Yeah. Corbell thought it through, rubbing the straight, sharp line of his nose. I'll have to check it out on the computer, he said. But if I don't like any of your worlds when I get back, there are always clouds of Magellan. I'll bet they aren't more than twenty-five light years away. Ship's time. So he never goes to the clouds of Magellan, right? Right. Right. He he basically ends up having to do what what uh, Pierce wants, uh, which is at least return to... I mean, no, no, nobody gets what they want exactly, but um, it's it's just like a sort of a fuck you ending after the first chap- at the end of the first chapter, and then uh, he sort of gets screwed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, there's still... There's great ideas in here, and although I, I'm not sure that he's a great character writer for the rest of the book... Uh, he he creates really interesting sort of s- social systems that you don't see. No, I don't know any other writer who who sort of thinks through social systems the way that Larry Niven does. I'm not sure mm-hmm. they're 100 percent realistic, but they're always fascinating. Yeah, he's come up with a way in this novel to you know have a stable population, uh, but also have immortality. Which is, mm, yeah. uh, you know, it's 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 completely logical and it's really refreshing. I mean, I've been reading a lot of science fiction books and I haven't read a Larry Niven in a while, uh, just a straight Larry Niven. You know, this is one I hadn't read before. I read a lot of his other novels, um, but it's so nice to have the vocab of you know a science classroom in an actual science fiction book for a change. There's so much. There's so much that you can only find in a in a book like this that you can't find in a lot of the adventure, uh, you know, near near Earth, future, alternate history sort of stuff that a lot of science fiction writing is these days. So he's got you know the vocab of uh, cryonics. He's got the vocab of uh, uh, Bassard ramjets and um, graviton waves and all the he doesn't dumb it down, you know. It's it's like mm-hmm. high level. And I remember reading this stuff for the first time in in the eighties, and I was thinking, "Wow, this is like this is high level stuff." I don't know what half this stuff is. I have to look it up. And back then, it was much harder to look up things than you know to see what was new and what was real and what was what was faked. So mm-hmm. I really yeah. appreciated that aspect of it. Yeah, I looked up the word. Uh, what is it? Ergosphere. And it's actually the border of a black hole. Right. Ergosphere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. The uh you know, I found that I 
I think that I like his short stories better than I like his novels. Um, but I haven't read a, a bunch of his novels. I've read Ring World. I haven't read any of the sequels to Ring World. And I've read um, this one. I'm trying to think of other... The, the Protector is pretty good. Protector. The Protector. The, I think I read The Protector. That's right. Yeah. And then, but I've read a ton of short stories, whole bunches. The Beowulf Schaefer the, short stories. I love those. Sure, those are great. Those are and those uh, are very much like the uh, Rammer, except those are even more like they're almost mystery. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The mystery like, of puzzle the puzzle stories. Yeah, I mean, the mystery of the uh, neutron star. You know, neutron star is a great story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I love the soft weapon, the one that was adapted for the Star Trek cartoon. It's uh, 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 there's just so much. I, I went and looked at uh, the Technology website. You know, guy, you guys know that one. Oh yeah, yeah, I um, remember that. I did a search uh, for Kevin, <coughs> and it's a long, long set. Of <laughs> but even just for this book, uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, so of the of the technologies, uh, the the tech, the tech that's in it, uh, here's a list. Biological package probe. Uh, and then that's described as autom- automaton Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> I like that. The bubble mm-hmm. car, uh, which is basically uh, a programmable, programmable car uh, where you type in the GPS code and it just drives you to the place. We're, we're almost there. Hmm. Bassard Ramjet, of course, which is in other of his books, and he, yeah, it seems like every book has the Ramjet. Well, he didn't ever... it, but he sort of made it. Uh, uh, he really thought it through. Bassard invented it, uh, the idea of it. Uh, the Empty Man, which is uh, a body ready for a mind. That's again, I'm not sure he invented that, but this is this RNA stuff is is really good. I mean, it's probably not realistic. Um, in that we we don't we've never done it on you know sort of big information, but it, it, it's logical and it, it's based on real science. Um, gravity assisted subway, which um, is again that's maybe possible, but there's problems with that as well. Poster TV, uh, flat flattest of flat screen TVs. We're we're getting mm-hmm. close to that. Yeah, RNA shots again. It says, "I love this." the The note on this one says, "Don't read Cliff Notes. Eat Cliff." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, where do they get the RNA from? Uh, criminals, I guess. Uh, no, his, it's his RNA. He he is his his RNA. Well, I mean, like when they learn stuff. Oh, um, they take a course in uh, spaceship flying. Oh, elderly. Somewhere it says, "Oh, don't ask us where we get the RNA from." Right. Yeah. Like, I guess some criminals that knew how to fly, and then they take it. Maybe. Is there anything to that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't know that. Um, there's a couple of uh, things that have been done. One, one is um, you know flatworms, the uh, uh, very simple animal. Uh-huh. Um, one one scientist uh, did some experiments where he conditioned some. Flatworms to respond to uh, a certain stimulus. Uh, I might have been light or dark or something like that, and he would electroshock any ones that didn't uh, instantly respond the way he wanted. And so they quickly learned, you know, to follow the stimulus. Then he took those flatworms and he ground them up and he fed them to other flatworms. 
and uh, new flatworms learned much faster than the old ones. Huh. They, they, didn't te- they didn't need multiple lessons. They just got it instantly as soon as the, the stimulus came. And that's how it works in the book, too, right? If, it's not that he, he, um, he knows everything. It's that he's so ready for it that when he is exposed to it, he learns it. Um, and if you think about it, that, that logic holds because uh, human beings are conditioned, or not conditioned, are set up to learn language instantly. We, we, we are set up for it. It takes us a while to do it, but uh, we are set up for it instantly. You can't do that with a dog. No matter how much you try and teach it English, it's not going to learn because it, it's not set up for it. So that that follows. There's also been some experiments with I think rats um, of a similar uh, simplicity, where they hmm. conditioned them and then uh, took took ground up, ground up their brains and fed them to other rats. Well, that's really interesting. I always thought that um, the explanation for why you know we're all wired for language and everything is kind of an evolutionary deal, where you know clearly the ones that can learn language thrived and the ones that didn't did not, and then. Well, you know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, that that's incompatible. I'm just saying it's like, it. it imagine uh, you are a bird, right? You're conditioned, mm-hmm. not conditioned. You're you're pre-wired for flight, but human beings are not pre-wired for flight. But if we ground up some birds and put them in you, um, <laughs> you'd be ready to flap your wings with the best of them. <laughs> but I eat, I eat turkey every Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, I guess they're not flight birds. But well, do you have? <laughs> I have turkey burgers all the time. Yeah, <laughs> flying afterwards. Uh, flying that's, that's interesting. Turkeys. I fly into my bed afterwards. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm going to look into that. That's, yeah. that's something. Follow, follow the mm-hmm. links on the Technology website, Neil. Okay, will do. Uh, there's also Young Forever, of course. That's uh, uh, was a Star Trek episode, right? Those kids. Young Forever. Uh, All the the kids that uh, never die. Yeah, there's an episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. And there was an overlord or something. Uh, Some computer that Kirk screwed up for him. (laughs) He's a grub. Get him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shoot. And then uh, Zero Time Jail, which is uh, uh, putting someone in suspended animation or uh, frozen Mm -hmm. uh, null field or something to uh, punish them. I don't know how what kind of punishment that is, but yeah, it seems like a gift, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of like Young yeah. Forever. Yeah, you got to yeah. live sometime, I guess. I don't know <laughs> for sure. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and now the the guy, um, the main character was from 1970, right? And he froze yeah. himself because he was sick, dying of cancer. Right. So there's, uh, I don't know. Did you mention? Um, consciousness transferal. It's not on here, and it's not really yeah. consciousness transferal, right? He he thinks he's not really him. That's what he starts calling himself Corbell the Second or Corbell Mark right. II, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always a question. These things is it a copy of someone or is it actually transferring someone? Well, right. it's it's a great it's a great thinking point because. Uh, consciousness, cont- continuation of consciousness. We we think you know that's what we want, right? Yeah. Um, but 
we actually do care about other things too. It's not just continuation of consciousness. So if if you were offered a robot body, like I guess a couple of Robert J. Sawyer stories, and there's a novel I think like that, right, mm-hmm. Scott? Yeah, I think it's Rollback. Rollback. And there's, yeah. there's, there's, no, could that be right? Yeah, anyway, go ahead. Back. Uh, uh-huh. I think there's another one, too. Uh, yeah, I'll look, I'll look it up while you're talking. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, if you were offered a, a robot body into which you could uh, put all your memories, um, you'd say, well, that's still not me. Just because it's a copy of me with all my memories, it's still not me. But if you're dying and you want to take care of your kids... Um, who do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Somebody who's like you, right? Somebody yeah, yeah. as much like you, at least for them, they, they might, if you know, you didn't mention, hey, uh, I'm actually dying here, um, they <laughs> would at least appreciate the fact that you're still around. Um, so we actually do care about will. We care about, and that, that's why we have you know, a last will and testament, and we have these ideas of res- respecting somebody's uh, will past their own death. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's not as strong as respecting their current decisions. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, you make a promise to yourself as a young person. Uh, you might change your mind later on. Uh, we we think, well, it's up to you to do that. But once you're dead, you can't make those changes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Rollback is definitely the novel, and then he had a short story called Identity Theft. Mm-hmm. And in Identity Theft, um, that was about. Uh, an older guy who goes ahead and he buys the robot body. Mm-hmm. His consciousness is copied into another, that robot body. Mm-hmm. And then the old him kind of ends up almost like in an old folks' home. <laughs> they, they try to make it as nice as possible. It's paradise, right? You don't have to, you don't want for anything, but they just basically put you there until you, you pass away. And he was, uh, he was really upset about it. <laughs> so... His consciousness was split into two different people. I think there was another one, though. I think there's one that you... Um, uh, didn't you do an audiobook version of one of them? Yeah, and that was Identity Theft. Oh, was that Identity Theft? I thought it was something yeah. else. No, hmm. I'm pretty sure that was it. Oh, okay. And then, um, gosh, I remember Jack Chalker. You remember him? No. I used to have a science fiction book club edition of something called Four Worlds of the Diamond or something like that. And I, and I thought it was it was amazing because what happened, they have these four worlds where they put criminals, and a, they meaning some vast stellar empire. And the problem is when you go, when you land on one of these planets, you immediately through the air, you ingest something that changes your body in a way that it needs to have whatever that something is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the point is you can never leave. Right. Once you land on this planet and you breathe the air, you're done. You've got to stay. Otherwise, you die. So something there's a mystery that needs to be solved. And what happens is this guy who's going to solve the mystery is cloned four times. And there's four novels. And at the beginning of each of these novels, he wakes up on uh, one of these worlds. Um, so, yeah, yeah, the first one's called uh, Lilith, a snake in the grass. Just seeing if they're on Audible because uh, uh-huh. that sounds interesting. I mean, this this was way you know early early high school that I read those and, and I remember liking them, but that's all the detail I remember. Four Lords of the Diamond. I put the link in the chat. There's only uh, five uh, Jack Chalker books. It doesn't look like um, there's like an orange book. 
doesn't look like that's up available yet, but there are uh, five books. I've never read one of his. I don't know. Yeah, cool. It looks to me like I've got the details pretty much right, which is amazing because I haven't thought about it for years. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's it. Lilith, a snake in the grass. Cerberus, a wolf in the fold. Charon, a dragon at the gate. And Medusa, a tiger by the tail. And the version that I had was a omnibus edition from the Science Fiction Book Club. I remember the cover. Um, but, yeah, it was cool. So the, the first chapter is this guy waking up, and he's like you know, wondering if the real him is okay and all that. You know, so it's each novel starts from exactly the same point, but on a different planet. Yeah. Cool idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody can record it now. Yeah. So, yeah, th- there are some Jack Chalkers in Audible now, aren't there? It- it's like maybe they've just kind of s- discovered him or um, I-, I-, I seem to remember something. There's five. There's five. There's what-, five. what are they? Uh, let's see. I think I just clicked away from that. He's a really interesting writer. Yeah, uh, there's uh, one called The River of the Dancing Gods, uh, which is a book one of the series. The Identity Matrix, which looks like a standalone. Uh, Demons of the Dancing Gods, that's book two. Uh, Labyrinth of the Dream Gods, uh, G-O-D, Inc., book one. Mm-hmm. And Dancers in the Afterglow, which also looks like a standalone. <laughs> So we're talking about identity a little bit, so I just clicked on the identity matrix, and it says, when his mind is inexplicably transported into the bodies of other people, Hmm. Victor Gonser learns that two alien races who are fighting for control of the planet Earth are responsible. Um, Read by Kathy Garver. That might be worth a shot. Yeah, these just came out at the end of last year, most of them. Oh, that's neat. And, you know, yeah. we, we did the Immortality, Inc. Uh, last year, I guess it was. And that's mm-hmm. basically the same sort of, you know, body swapping and uh, consciousness transference. It's This is not exactly focused on that, though. I think this is more um, it's more about, you know, who are you when you're, you're just a ground-up... <laughs> I mean, the state treats him like a criminal, right? They don't treat mm-hmm. him like the the memories he has. They treat him like the body that he is. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it is interesting because, yeah, he, he's froze himself because he has cancer in 1970, expecting that he'll be awakened and cured. Hoping. I don't Instead, think he's, he's expecting. He, I think yeah, he's, hoping. You know, okay. what, what's, the, what's the downside, right? Mm-hmm. So instead he wakes up in someone else's body, mm-hmm. and the guy just tells him, hey, we need you to do one of these jobs. And if you're not willing to do it or you're not qualified, then we're just going to find somebody else and put them in this body. So, um, yeah, so he is treated like a criminal. Um, Why is it that none of the citizens want to go on this trip? Well, it's a one-way trip by yourself. I guess that's that's part of it. Right, so they're saying, okay, you're, you're already separated from society. You're not sacrificing that. Yeah. So if we send you on this trip, you'll come back and... They Hopefully also needed a certain kind of person, right? They they needed a, somebody who who could go by themselves, who was a adventurer kind. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. sort of how all of these Larry Niven characters are, right? If you go to yeah. Beowulf Schaefer, he's sort of an, a misfit. If you go to Louis Wu, he's a misfit, right? Uh-huh. They have to be a special sort of breed, you know. <laughs> um, you know, this reminds me. You, you know, you sent that link of that James Cameron yep, uh, right. interview. Right. I I have listened to that like three times. Oh. I absolutely love that. Thing. No, there's two of them, right? There's there's 
there's uh, James Cameron about James Cameron, and then there's James Cameron, James Cameron. There's, there's okay, though the, I just have the one that's him talking right after he went. Um, right. There's also deep. one of his staff talking about him. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't find that one. Okay. I, I believe it should be right prior to. Okay, I'll I'll check that out for sure. Yeah. For sure, but yeah, as we talk about this, you know, you need a certain type of person to be able to do this, and it just reminds me of kind of the state that we're in on manned space flight right now, and, and his comment on it, which he said it's like telling Columbus to, you know, giving him a bunch of money to just go offshore mm-hmm. and uh, study the effects of being on the ocean on people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that just reminded me of it. I guess it's you know. Well, he's he's a very um, adventurous guy. Uh huh. Can I read a quote no about? Uh, Sorry, Ed Niven has an, has an intro to Rammer in uh, *Playgrounds of the Mind*. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he says, cool. over the years, I gradually realized that my favorite characters were all tourists. Mm-hmm. Beowulf, Lewis Wu, Kenan Renner was a tourist. What would a Niven character do if I put him where he couldn't be a tourist? And that's Rammer. Mm-hmm. But I guess he becomes a tourist in the novel. He does. He does become a tourist <laughs> in the novel. That's kind of funny, isn't it? It's yeah, true. He becomes a tourist in the novel. Yeah, and at the end, he says, uh, you know, I, I demand to be a tourist. At the end of the yep. short story. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. The tourist will out. The, the, you know, what's funny is I actually hadn't read this book, but I've read other books in the series, which uh, I didn't even know it was a series. Um, there's uh, one of the very first Larry Niven books I read was called The Integral Trees, is what I always called it. Yeah. It's probably Integral, mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than Integral. But I, I'm not sure, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I read it as a paperback, and I, I, it was before I even know what an integer was. So uh, mm-hmm. I would say... Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but I, I thought it was just amazing. The cover w- is got a person on it. I guess it's a woman, and she's got these really long hands and really long feet. And there's a tree, and I just I said, oh, this looks interesting. I flipped it over, and I'm like, what? This is a whole world that's in zero gravity. How is that possible? Where's And, of course, Larry Nivens worked out a way for there to be you know pressurized air in mm-hmm. a, in a zero g environment, and it's like this guy is just he is Mr. Science, you know he's Mr. Physics, really, when it comes to uh science fiction, there's nobody like him, really, even like Arthur C. Clarke is you know he he doesn't have the same sort of you know like I'm going to work through some little idea and blow it up to galactic proportions. <laughs> I just love that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Have you guys read classic that? science fiction? I've read I read the Integral Trees or Integral, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back when it first came out, you know, in high school, I recall reading that. So there's another Niv- Niven one I read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. Brian Aldiss wrote something called Hot House, which Integral Trees reminded me of a little bit. Um, but Aldiss used to get hammered for his science. Hmm. In fact, you know he he you know he got pretty annoyed that he was always getting hammered for that. So um, yeah, it, it's almost as if Niven may have kind of responded somehow to Hot House when he wrote the Integral Trees and said, "This is how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> this works. Yours doesn't." Kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Huh. 
Yeah. Well, uh, didn't it, didn't they get it ha- hammered for a ring world? People were saying it was unstable. Oh yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but who was hammering him, right? It's like the uh, like, like MIT, MIT students. Or yeah, it, it was all in good fun. They're like, oh, this seems impossible, you know. And but Niven seemed to always have something worked out where he'd say, yeah. No, he he had, but to, this and that. had to write the book to follow it up to explain it, right? Yeah, yeah. He wrote yeah. wrote the sequel, and that mm-hmm. that led to more and more sequels. I don't. I think there's like five now or something. It's real ridiculous. Yeah, that's funny. I haven't read uh, Hot House. It's from '62. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. What's this? What's the premise? Um, well, I, I don't have a clear memory of everything in it, but it has something to do with um, these people that live on a kind of a jungle type of a planet, you know, up in the trees type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And the the science thing that he was getting hammered for is that there was a way for them to get to another planet by going up. um, I I don't recall if a planet was passing them Hmm. and somehow when it passed them it brushed close enough to where they could transfer something something on the order of that was what was going on and um, that people felt you know oh that's ridiculous Uh, yeah well uh, something on the uh, something similar happens in uh, the end of this book Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah but He's he sort of worked it out. I'm I'm not sure I followed the explanation of how they move planets around that well. I, well, you, do you know what I got out of that is that they were using Uranus, yeah. right, and the fuel in the atmosphere to run the engines, basically, and they would use the gravity of Uranus to pull the Earth. So they were driving Uranus but pulling the Earth. Yeah, that's what I thought that was going on there. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I mean, that was that was something else. He, yeah. he he doesn't say I'm just going to wave my hands. He says I'm going to work out yeah. some elaborate system that's totally ridiculous, but it's mathematically logical, even if it, even if the materials are impossible, right, uh, right. or are currently pos- impossible. Yeah, there's some kind yeah. of engine on Uranus, and they steer it around. Yeah, in that's, orbit. Yeah, that's what I got. Is something I can't imagine an engine big enough, but yeah. <laughs> I guess theoretically you could have something big enough to do that. I don't know. It's a big old planet. <laughs> it's got a lot of. And it was a lot smaller, right? Because right. it used up a lot of its atmosphere. But I think I think you know what he did to the Earth is pretty interesting too. It it is a um, greenhouse uh, gas planet made from uh, moving the the Earth around and sloshing the oceans into the air, right? Uh huh. Um, the the rain that's mentioned many times is is uh, is the air is full of much more full of the oceans than it used to be, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure what the saturation level of the atmosphere is is uh, maximi- maximized to, maximizable to. I, I can't I can't exactly work that out, but I do know that you know the hotter it is, the more it can hold, and so. Um, there, there's 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 probably something wrong with the math somewhere, but it's just, he's so he's he's just so imaginative, and he, he just gives you another really interesting idea. Uh, you don't you don't have time to say, uh, well, I'm going to get my my slide ruled out here and and see what what's exactly wrong with it. I don't I don't think he's he's done anything that's insanely. Ridiculous, except for maybe the the null rooms. You know those those things. There's I don't think there's any any premise that can stop that. 
uh-huh. uh, or that can support that. The, I think that's in another, a few other of his stories too. Tam, is that the soft weapon? Is that uh, well, they they find that it's not a null box or something. Yeah, so it, never, it never ages. Right, and it's like uh, it's a zero entropy uh, space. Right. No time passes in in the space, and if we can figure out how to do that, I think we'll uh, be able to store our sandwiches better. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, I, I, I like the uh, immortality cure at the or the mortality cure at the end of the book, where they just go in the spoiler alert uh, transporter and then the garbage gets transported out of their body. Yeah, the, that theory as to why human beings age, I don't think that holds up very well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think it does either. The yeah, you said that the the dead stuff in your cells or just kind of clogs up the yeah, whole system. Yeah, the poisons and, accumulate. I don't yeah. think that's it. I think it's more of a gene uh, replication problem. Yeah, yeah. It's probably complicated. Yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of a neat transporter idea, though. You know, why can't you fix flaws while you're transporting? <laughs> that would drive Dr. McCoy insane, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm not that's a throw doctor, that's not throw, the transporter. Let's <laughs> throw him over the top, I think. Uh-huh. Over the edge. So that, All of a sudden, yeah. he's in a better mood. He never complains. Transporting, yeah, <laughs> they got all the all the the blockages out. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> yep, interesting stuff. Yeah, we'll do, you know, uh, in quantum physics nowadays, you know, I, I don't know if Larry Niven has written anything about this, but you know, they they've proved that you can wiggle something over here and over mm-hmm. there, something will wiggle. You, you know, which, make, which makes you think that, you know, hey, some, something's possible. You know, communication's definitely possible. But, you know, what's going to be possible beyond that? I mean, it's, it's going to be kind of cool. Well, uh, it, it would work as a transporter, but you would need to, to, to replicate a piece of material on this end and do it on the other end. If it's a human-sized thing, it would take uh-huh. uh, more energy than we've got and more... Um, more time than we've got, so it's not it's not practical for uh, transportation technology, except uh, on a very or replication technology, I guess, not transportation. Yeah, so really, we kill you on this end by by scanning every you know connection in your in your atoms, and then we replicate it on the other end. Yeah, you could move across, and you know, is that you on the other end? Uh, Kirk and Spock don't seem to mind going in the transport. Right? <laughs> that's funny. You know, that reminds me of Think Like a Dinosaur. That's 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 the that's another one exactly in that. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's a classic too. That's a classic story. Think Like a Dinosaur by James Patrick Kelly. If you haven't read that, check it out. Mm-hmm. And he there's audio of that too. Mm-hmm. That's um, on the Senior Theater too, I think. Yeah, yeah, great story. Great story. So I don't think I've read. I don't think there's many of the classic uh, Nivens that I haven't read now. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm just gonna s- skip to his page. But we read um, uh, one of those uh, ones I hadn't read in from the '80s. Dream Park was it? Yeah, that's right. right. Um, we did Dream Park and we did Oath of Fealty. Oath of Fealty. Um, That's another collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a lot of the uh, Jerry Purnell uh, t- together books. We did Moda and God's Eye, mm-hmm. um, and we did uh, 
the uh, I think that was with Jerry Purnell Inferno. Right. Yeah. Sure we did that. Right. Mm-hmm. Lucifer's Hammer. I don't think we've talked about on the podcast, but I'm sure everybody's read that, right? Yeah, I have. I think Luke Burge has reviewed it. Mm-hmm. Escape from Hell uh, is a sequel to Inferno. I read that. I don't think we podcast about it, but uh, it was it was not as good as the first one. But it was much later. It's 2009, so uh, it was it was interesting. And then um, Footfall. That's the only one I really haven't read. I think. I've never read that book, and it's it's Aliens Invade the Earth, right? <laughs> yeah, I I read that one. Um, How was it? A long time ago. It, I liked it very much. It's a thick one. I, it's with yep. Jerry Purnell, right? Yeah, it's, it's the same. Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I guess it's not fair to say it's the same kind of thing as Lucifer's Hammer, but, you know, again, it's another just an alien invasion story told in kind of the same tone as Lucifer's Hammer. Um, but... Sort of, uh, I recall. I recall liking it very much. Huh. I don't. I can't so tell you really details about it. Yeah, the the uh, the front cover of the book that I have, I still have it. In fact, it's signed by um, Niven and Pornell. Wow. No, no, I, I didn't get it in person though. I remember I bought it from Locus or something a long time ago. But it's got a kind of an elephant-looking creature that uses. Uh, it's got kind of twin trunks and. Um, one of the one of the hands is holding a mirror where he can look around a corner and the other hand he's got a gun huh. and he's looking at humans through uh through this mirror uh, darn good book though that sounds, is it audio yeah it's available as an audiobook for a while now oh wow i was thinking about about that as a future one because um i i think you know that there's something special about reading a book that's that's written by people who actually care about science rather than yeah and it, it is you know you are you make a really good point because you know lucifer's hammer um was especially thoughtful i mean that you know what if this and what are the you know what's going to happen if that and not only that so he's not only thinking about the social aspects of what will happen you know, which is one of the most fascinating things about that book is how they start to rebuild civilization. And I remember one of the characters in Lucifer's Hammer putting a bag of books in yeah. his septic tank because he thinks, you know, this needs to be preserved somehow. Yeah, that's the or gold. hidden, you know, even. That's the real gold. Yeah, so <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, football books. is definitely just as thoughtful. Yeah. Um uh, I'm reading uh, the Wikipedia entry here, and it says, uh, uh, while the military and government personnel convey a more strategic overview of events, science fiction writers are employed as technical advisors on alien technology and behavior. These characters are based on real writers, including Niven, Nat Reynolds, Pornell, Wade Curtis, and Robert Anson Heinlein, a.k.a. Bob Anson. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Uh, that reminds me, I just heard the latest uh, Dan Carlin you, you mentioned, uh, I guess, yesterday. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's the sort of thing. I thought it was that, terrific. I think yeah. that's the sort of thing that um, other science fiction writers, or I guess he's not a science fiction writer. Yeah, I've, I've heard David Brin say in the David, past that he was on some committee that would get called in if, you know, by whom, I assume the government. But notice... Should, Something happened. Yeah, but see, there uh, the ones he was called into are to brainstorm attacks to the United States. Uh-huh. That was for the Department of Homeland Security, I think, rather than for um, the U.S. military. Uh-huh. Uh huh. U.S. military is trying to s- solve the, you know, their 
endless war in the Middle East problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the thinking up threats to uh, terrorism threats is it's like they're kind of opposites, I think, in that mm-hmm. you know they're they're solving different kinds of problems. But there is a, I mean, I think Larry Niven is a has a great ideas man. We should put him into a uh, into a position of. Um, some authority. Uh, I, I wonder what he would do at the EPA. I, I mean, I know he's he's controversial, but I, I think it might be interesting. You know, if he was yeah. in charge of the EPA, that might be a really interesting um, effect because he he's really conservative in many ways, but he's also very um, uh, innovative, and it, it might be um, uh, time for something like that. Rather than you know a, bureau- a bureaucratic sort of approach, yeah, feeling feeling how how the people feel and then uh, taking baby steps. I don't know. Let's build a yeah. world. <laughs> it would be it would be interesting. Well, there was that it would be interesting proposal the other day. I think that that was more for novelty than for for uh, jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the most interesting aspects of President Obama when he originally got elected was that he was geekish, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that I've seen much in him since then that's made me think that, you know, that has been employed in any way. (laughs) But um, anyway, it's kind of interesting that, you know, someone who's been exposed to science fiction being uh, president of the United States, I think it's an excellent thing. Newt Gingrich would be a, a shoe-in then, right? Well, he, he's he got a lot of interesting ideas, Newt Gingrich does. Yeah. I, I really think he does. And uh, I remember, I don't know if you followed it, but he mentioned something about, uh, hey, let's, uh, he, he his idea was let's get a goal out there in space. And he, he was saying, hey, let's, Let's start thinking about getting a moon base up, and let's let's do this. And um, you know, he was hammered for it by uh, uh, Mitt Romney. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, yeah. Newt Gingrich's major problem to me is not that he's got wants to spend money in space; it's that he yeah, he, yeah. he he loves himself because he's surrounded by idiots. <laughs> I mean, he's no he's no. no I, I completely apple. I completely understand, but I'm just saying that the. Yeah. The the idea of an idea man is a fantastic I agree. idea. Yeah. Um, to have someone like that in the presidency. It's like, you know, the U.S. presidency, wasn't it Douglas Adams? I think it was Douglas Adams in Hitchhiker's Guide said anybody who can make themselves president ought not to be president. Okay. You know, it, the, the skill set that it requires to get in there is not the skill set you really want in a president. No. So... But um, very true. I think there's um, there's also something else going on that, in this book that is interesting to talk about. So the idea of going out and sending a, a, a thousand year project or a ten thousand year project out into outer space uh, that's not going to fly with the current administration in the U.S. No, um, no. Mm. But a lot of people say that it, it wouldn't fly with anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. there's good evidence that that's not true, um, but it's certainly it's not in the culture at the moment. Um, it, uh, people seem very, uh, you know, we, I, we, even us, we'd rather talk about iPhone 5s than 
to talk about, uh, you know, it, it, we, we, we're sort of focused on the current rather than uh, major projects. Building a, I, I I don't know that I feel that way. I no, mean, I I mean as a everyone as not uh-huh. us individuals here. I'm just saying everyone seems much more focused on the current or you know the recent past uh, on sort of pop issues rather than um, the deep time issues. And mm-hmm. you know, like what we'll do, we'll we'll make a nod to it and say you know let's let's make a time capsule. Yay, and then we forget about it. <laughs> um, a lot of the time capsules that are put on the ground are never remembered, right? People yeah, yeah. stumble across them, you know, much long after they were supposed to be opened because mm-hmm. the projects are just not that um, interesting to people because they're much more focused on the now. Um, there's that long now foundation. And, uh, it seems a little strange to me the way, they're, the, the way they do things is strange, but... Um, you know, they used to make cathedrals that would take hundreds of years to make, right? They used mm-hmm. to make uh, pyramids that would take longer than the lifetime of the of the ruler that they were planning to bury in. So we can have that motivation. And certainly uh, it, on the grand cosmic scale, I think going to yeah. other stuff. And I think, I think it's really important to a, a society, too, to have this wondrous thing going on that you know we're accomplishing as a society is really good for a society um unfortunately in the in the 20th century everything we did seemed to have been motivated by competition military competition you know we we ended up on the moon you know well kennedy said you know we're doing this because it's hard you know Mm. we were really doing it because we were afraid that the russians were going to do it first Mm -hmm. You know, so we have this competition and we, you know, I wish we could get away from that and do things for, because, it, you know, they're hard, <laughs> like Kennedy said. But, mm-hmm. uh, well, I don't know. I just don't, you know, Obama did do something that it's turning out to be extremely interesting. And uh, I admit to being a little upset about it at the beginning or when he did it, but when he scrubbed some of the man's stuff, basically all the man's stuff from mm-hmm. NASA. Um, what he did was he opened up the a lot of this stuff to private companies. And we're starting to see now, last year, um, there were some commercial delivery of things to the space station. And I, I think that they actually had some trouble. Um, but the idea of it seems to be working. Um you know, to have a private company doing that, which is, that's extremely interesting. Now, you know, a private company is never going to, um, you know, build a moon base or something like that, because, you know, how can you possibly justify that expenditure? You'll never get it back. But somebody, isn't there a group starting now to talk about, you know, going to an asteroid, and it's not the government? It's Cameron. Isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So I mean that that's super interesting. You know, we're we're getting to this place where there are these ultra rich people that are, you know, ganging together. Surely he doesn't have enough money himself to do it, but he's may not be far off. But you know, when he went down to the bottom of the ocean, that wasn't just him. That was uh uh you know, he wasn't the only one putting money in it is what my point. Uh, it like well, a, it was mostly his consortium money. or something. It's mostly his money and and uh-huh. you know, he 
he's he's saying, what can we do? He, I think he'd like to go to the moon. <laughs> he'd yeah, like to yeah. uh, do a lot of stuff, but um, I'm I don't think. I, I don't think the ultimate way is to you know get a bunch of rich people and and get them to you know make their own adventures. What I would think would be better is to make the culture a little more interested in um, projects. And I don't uh, you know a, a lot of Americans are very worried about government spending. Um, okay, make it a, a private one. I I'd, I'd do. Uh, contribution to a kickstarter you know it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be uh for profit because yeah uh science isn't for profit well that, that that's the advantage of having you know some rich interested people do it you know bill gates or whatever and um, also human ex- is that profit isn't a profit would not be a motive yeah human existence isn't for profit and uh the wonderment of of things isn't for profit i, I if you if you look at the 80s and uh, prior uh, in space exploration, uh, I think the the ones that are really cool that aren't aren't based on you know getting to the moon before the Russians are the space probes, right? The the Russians were doing space probes, the Americans are doing space probes, uh, the Europeans tried to do space probes, but those are at least a, a little bit more long term investment. You know, it, it doesn't pay off instantly. You don't see it on TV the week after. It's 20 years later, five, mm-hmm. six years later, and maybe it doesn't even show up at all. And those are the ones where you're not going to get a for-profit corporation ever going to do that because they can't they can't see, well, at least you can't see a, a current for-profit corporation doing that because you can't see the the investment show up on the bank balance next month, next year, next quarter. Yeah, doesn't work. you're right. You're right. Yep. And hydroelectric dams, you know, um, and, and, you know, major building projects, they tend to be uh, built by private corporations and paid for by governments. And if they're not done that way, you know, you have toll bridges for the <laughs> ends of time and, and it's a bad, yeah. you know, so it's, it's a... It's it's interesting to see how we transition to a place where we actually do care about major major products uh, projects, but I'm not sure there's any way of um, getting there from here other than making people read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Moonbase Kickstarter. Let's let's get started. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't even have to have people up there. If I could see robots moving around and making uh, making stuff, I'd be I'd be cool with that. And then maybe one day they'll they'll make a a little house for me <laughs> up there and have a visit. Yeah. Just have one guy and his clone up there. That's what we need. Hey, that sounds like a a great project. Let's not tell him though that he's a clone. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there you go. That's a that's an excellent idea. That's an excellent movie too. Yeah, I liked it. Moon is that the name of it? Yep. Yep. I never actually yep. saw it, but I know the. Oh, you should watch it. It's excellent. Yeah, very good. Very good movie. Real science fiction. <laughs> so, yeah, so here we are reading Real Science Fiction by Larry Niven. Um, yeah, I, I love to follow I know, like his best uh, short stories. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a collection of his Beowulf Schaefer stories, isn't it? Isn't there? Yep. I know Neutron Star, that's not a specifically a Beowulf Schaefer collection, but there was an old books on tape um 
collection of all the Beowulf Schaefer ones. I can't remember what that's called. I've got it here somewhere. Do you want me to go look? <laughs> we need that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see uh, if I can get a copy. But that would be cool. Yeah, I don't know what the name of it is. but um, I think the reader's not that great. Great story. It's just love the stories. Yeah, he's, he's full of uh, great, yeah. great ideas. And all his short stories are idea stories, right? Yeah. And Tam, I know you're reading the latest Peter F. Hamilton. Talk about an ideas man. Would you? Oh yeah. Call him that. Yeah, he's definitely uh, ideas man and social repercussions. But uh, I mean, he writes very long. So right. I, I was yeah, telling Jeff it's a thousand, would never thousand pages or something, right? Yeah, I'm reading Great North Road, and uh, it has a lot of great stuff. But it's a thousand pages, and you might have like five pages describing a weather change. <laughs> Like, like, like I'll mention that a, a body was just discovered, but then, wait a minute, let me describe the weather for five pages. Then you get back to it. <laughs> and so you're I'm, like, ah. But if, but if you stick with it, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Well, that's good. So the, the collection is called Crashlander. That's the Beowulf that's it. Schaefer that's the collection. Yeah. Includes Neutron Star, 1966. At the Core, 1966. Flatlander, 1967. Grendel, 1968. The Borderlands of Soul, 1975. And Procrustes, 1993. Uh-huh. Wikipedia says, Crashlander is a fix-up novel by Larry Niven. It, I didn't even notice it was a novel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's got some bridging material between the stories. Maybe. Oh, it says here, yeah, the stories are linked, and some of them extended by a framing story called uh, Ghost. Yeah, that sounds right. Huh. Um, and Neutron Star, the, that collection, includes uh, Neutron Star, A Relic of Empire... At the Core, The Soft Weapon, Flatlander, The Ethics of Madness, The Handicapped, and Grendel. So it's a mi- that oh. one has some of the same stories in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, The Playgrounds of the Mind has uh, The Soft Weapon as well, and some uh, novel excerpts. And so you stuff. say The Soft Weapon was a Star Trek episode? Yeah, uh-huh. the animated Star Trek. Animated Star Trek. Oh! With the same Holy cast. cow, I've completely forgotten about the animated Star Trek. And it was like the only episode that had no Kirk. It just had Spock. Also has really? Kazin, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a Kazin story. Kazin were in the in Star Trek. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah, the, and the way, yeah. Because awesome. I recall those stories actually being pretty darn good. You know, Alan Dean Foster novelized them, and I used to have those, and um, they weren't bad. I mean, they were, they seemed to be real science fiction. Those animated. Yeah, well, yeah. I think it was the same writers too from the TV show. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. There's another one I haven't read here, a uh, novel. World of the Patavs? World of Patavs? Hmm. Uh, it's based on a 1965 short story of the same name, which, I again, I haven't read that. Uh, it says, oh, this sounds familiar. Uh, a reflective statue is found at the bottom of Earth's one of Earth's oceans, having lain there, maybe I have read this, 1.5 billion years, since humans have recently discovered a slow time field and found that one such field cannot function with another, it is suspected that the sea statue is actually a space traveler within one of these time fields. Huh. Uh, Aldrich Budgers describes worlds of Patavs as snappy, ingenious, and upbeat, praising Niven for treating telepathy as a phenomenon as it logically should be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh. it says Charles Strauss was inspired uh, by it for... Uh, when developing the relationship between Gethyanki and Illithids for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. 
I didn't know that Charles Krauss huh. worked on a D and D. I didn't either. Interesting. <laughs> I just watched the other day the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons episode of Community. Oh yeah, that's great. Wow. That is so good. <laughs> Fantastic. I haven't watched that show that much. Oh yeah, there's there's some brilliant episodes of Community. My goodness. That's very geek oriented. Yeah, very. Just very. smart. That's what it is. It's yeah. a smart show. The, I, what's that other one that has a laugh track that I hate? <laughs> that's geek oriented. Oh, oh uh, Big Bang Theory, right? Big Bang yeah. Theory. That's okay. It. So the problem with that one is it's it's a sitcom that uses geeks, uh, a geek culture as the the other one. Community is just smart, and it mm-hmm. happens to reference a lot of sort of geeky things. Yeah, yeah. He uses I, those to make its stories funnier. <laughs> yeah. I saw the creator of Community give a uh, keynote to something and it was really good. Oh, and he talked about how they fu- they fired him at like the end of the series. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, they they fired him at the end of three. I, I don't know the whole story of why, but anyway, he's not involved with this thing anymore. But yeah. um, season four starts uh, in February. Oh, so still going. Every- everybody's yeah, they're they're continuing on, so everybody's. Anxious to see if it's you know still got the quality and you know I don't know who's there that you know whatever but there are probably you know out of three seasons of that show there's probably six episodes of that show that I just think are absolutely brilliant yeah and um, oh you should make a blog post a blog post of the episodes I think are brilliant yeah I could do that put on Jenny's site <laughs> there you go or, or, or here <laughs> yeah. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.